First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. On these Sunday nights, we are going book by book through the New Testament. We've arrived at First Thessalonians. Possibly the first letter that Paul wrote. First Thessalonians and Galatians. We're not sure when either of them were written. Both of them were early on. As it stands, it was probably, First Thessalonians was probably the second book that Paul wrote. And he did not write this book from prison. He had been a Christian for about 20 years. He had been a missionary for about two to three years when he wrote this book. One of his earliest writings. And he writes it to the little church of Thessalonica. So if you have your Bible open to 1 Thessalonians, you can write Acts 17. 1 to 10. Right on the top of your Bible. That's where you read how Paul started this church. And you can hear there the account. It's really remarkable because it says in Acts 17 and verse 3 that he was in the city of Thessalonica for three Sabbath days. Now a Sabbath day was Saturday. For three Saturdays he preached in the synagogue. And then after three Sabbath days, he was forced to leave by Jews who wanted to kill him. So just think about that. Three weeks and then he was gone. That's amazing. But it's not as amazing as what we're about to read. So this letter comes about a year or so after he planted the church. Just imagine, Grace Bible Church, I'm with you for three weeks. Three Sundays. That's all you know me. And then I leave. A year later, I write this letter to you. That's the kind of scenario. Let's read and see exactly what happened in this remarkable book of 1 Thessalonians. Verse verse 1 is the greeting. And it's the only greeting where Paul is writing with two other friends. Paul and Timothy and Silvanus. What do we learn from that? Friendship was very important to Paul. He worked in a team. He was not always the big man. He was always training young men to serve with him. He needed friends. He had friends. He did not have friends because he was rich. He did not have friends because he was powerful. He had friends because he was a true Christian who gave himself to other men. There it is. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church in Thessalonica. Look in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Why, Paul? What do you pray about? Verse 3. He remembers something. What does he remember? If you have a pen, mark all the things that he remembers. Number 1 in verse 3. What's the first thing? Someone tell me. Your work of faith. What's the second thing? Labor of love. Third thing? Patience of hope. In our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. Three things he's glad they have. He's going to give more in verse 5. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. And friends, notice how Paul just tosses out the doctrine of election. In Paul's mind, election is not controversial. It may be controversial today. It wasn't controversial to Paul. 
He just says, oh, I know that God chose you. Keep going. Look at verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word, but in what? Verse 5. In power. In the Holy Spirit. And in much assurance. Because you knew what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Wow, verse 5 is full. Power. Holy Spirit. Assurance. Friends, this church was planted in three weeks. That is power from God. I've been a church planter for 14 years. I've seen one church planted. And it took nine years of evangelism. I've been in Valdezia for three and a half years. And I don't even have one convert. When you pray for me, pray for the power of God. Pray for the Holy Spirit. Oh, I wish I could get this message to everyone in the country. We don't have the Holy Spirit when we fall on the ground and laugh. We don't have the Holy Spirit when someone says, I'm going to prophesy. You're going to go to Johannesburg this week. We have the Holy Spirit when you come to a place where there's no church, boys, no church that preaches the five solas, And then suddenly, a church is there in three weeks. That's the power of God. That's the Holy Spirit. Pray for us. He's going to say that at the very end of the book. Pray for us, brothers. And I would say that now. Pray for church planters. Pray for Wastemore. Pray for Shadrach. Pray for Alpheus. Oh, God, give them the Holy Spirit. Pray for J-Stone, Berengarai, for others that you know who are planting churches. I I want to make one more historical remark. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a godly pastor in England. He preached for 40 years and saw a great number of people converted. He was a Calvinist. But my friend last year just read every book that's ever been written on Lloyd-Jones. It's 96. Every sermon he ever preached was published. Every sermon that's recorded was preached, was published. It makes 96 books. I don't know of anyone, not even Spurgeon, who has that many books, that many sermons. Maybe. Spurgeon's sermons come to 69 volumes. Lloyd-Jones come to 96 Well, Lloyd-Jones... That man read every single sermon of Lloyd-Jones and he came out and said, Lloyd-Jones believed in election, but he does not mention it very much. What Lloyd-Jones mentions in almost every sermon is the power of God. Just today, I was listening to a sermon by Martin Lloyd-Jones and he said in his Welsh accent, you know what we need? We need the power of God in our churches. We need God's power. He's exactly saying verse 5. We need the power of God and the Holy Spirit. Oh, friends, pray for that. Verse 6. Here he goes. Now, this is, again, things that he remembers about them. Going back to the list. So if you want to continue your list, you can mark number 4. What does he remember about them? They became followers of the missionaries and of the Lord. Number five, they received the word in much what? Affliction. Affliction. If you like to mark your Bible, you can put on the side there, suffer one. There's going to be a lot of them. As we go through this book tonight, I'm going to pull your attention to all the times that it says They suffered. Verse 6, the first time, it says, I remember that you received the word of God even when it was hard. They persecuted you. No one persecuted you to come here tonight. Once a pastor asked me, is it 
okay if your church members don't come to church on Sunday night because they're afraid of crime? And my friend who was listening said, well, the Thessalonians received the word in much affliction. Wow. If you don't come because you're afraid of crime, I'm not going to send you out of the church. But I will remind you of the Thessalonians. What an example. And then look in verse 6. The sixth item that Paul remembers about these Thessalonians. What is it? Joy. And not just any joy. Holy Spirit joy. Do you see that in verse 6? It's amazing. Here are these people. How many weeks was Paul with them? Three weeks. And at the end of three weeks... They're being persecuted. They go on and they're rejoicing. And it's some amazing kind of joy because it comes from the Holy Spirit. Verse 7. He remembers something else. Here's the seventh thing in the seventh verse. You were examples to all who believed in Macedonia and Achaia. In Macedonia and Achaia were the churches of Philippi. Colossae. And Paul says to them. Hey, you were examples. Verse 8. The eighth thing that Paul thanks God for in verse 8. From you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. That's like saying not only in Limpopo, but also in every place. Your faith to God is spread abroad. So that we don't need to say anything. Praise Jesus. Grace Bible, I'm with you for three weeks and then I leave. And then a year later, I write a letter and I say, I just want to thank God. Not only in Limpopo, but even across Limpopo in Bait Bridge. People are talking about the believers at Grace Bible. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see the amazing difference between the false churches of today and the true church of the New Testament? In three weeks' time, the big man leaves and the Holy Spirit is left. And he just has this huge list. A year later, he says, I'm just so thankful. You work, you labored, you had patience. I'm just so thankful that you are followers of us. You received the word of affliction. You're overflowing with joy. Verse 7, you're examples to the believers. Verse 8, you're evangelizing. All around Limpopo. Go anywhere in Limpopo. And they're talking about you. Amazing. Friends, this is where we get... This idea of the three selves. Right in your Bible. Do you know what the three... I'm I'm saying R-I-G-H-T. Not W-R-I-T-E. But you can if you want. Do you know the three selves? Raise your hand if you know the three selves. Okay, we've got to write these down then. Number one, self-supporting. Self-supporting. Number two, self-governing. Number three, self-propagating. And you have to put I-N-G after each of those. I ran out of space on the board. The three selves... Do you see, when Paul the Apostle planted churches, he had the power of God, and he planted churches that were self-supporting. They did not take their money from the big church in Antioch. Number two, they were self-governing. There was not a denominational board. Today we were in Valdesia, and we saw an enormous building. That's going to be, I was told, the regional office for the denomination for the Presbyterians. That's not what Paul did. Did Paul build a big building in Thessalonica so that all the other churches could come and answer there? He didn't do that. Thessalonica stood on its own. Their own money, their own songs, their own preaching, their own pastor, their own church discipline, their own building. They didn't look back to the church planter and say, oh, give us money, give us money. 
And number three, self-propagating. It means they started new churches by themselves. Elam makes me rejoice when I see I give them no money. I don't tell them what to sing. I don't tell them what sermons to preach. And they are volunteering, not just this family, but they fill their bucky with church members every Sunday to go to Valdezia to do that. And while I was gone in the U.S., they did it. That's exactly what happened in Thessalonica. There's the three selves right there for you. And Paul says, these eight items, I thank God for you because you have these eight items. Verse 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. There's number 9. They turned to God from idols. And then number verse 10. This is remarkable. Look at this in verse 10. And what were the Thessalonians doing? Waiting for the second coming. That's it. They're waiting for Jesus to come back. Okay, chapter 1, if you're taking notes, chapter 1 is the Thessalonians. The new Christians. The new church. The new believers. But chapter 2 is the church planter. The missionary. The pastor. So there's the second one. Let's look at the marks of the missionary. Again, if you have your Bibles, or if you have a pen, you can just mark these as we go. Look at verse 1. For yourselves, brothers, know our entrance into you, that it was not in vain. Verse 2. But even after we, 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 who's the we? Look back at verse 1. Who's the we? Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. And he's already mentioned in verse 6 that they became followers of Paul. Paul said, follow me, follow me. But of course, only follow me as I follow who in verse 6? Jesus Christ. Now go back to chapter 2, verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. Even after we had suffered before and were shamefully treated, as you know, Mark down on the side, suffer too. So the Thessalonians are suffering because they saw the church planters suffer. They took the pain because their spiritual father took the pain. Here we go, here we go. We were bold, verse 2, in our God to speak to you the gospel of God with much boldness. So there's the two, first two points of the missionary. If you have your pen, you can mark those down. Number one, he suffers. Number two, he's bold. He's not a fearful, timid, quiet, shy guy. He's right out there. He's got three weeks, and he's going to preach the truth right in the midst. Look at verse three. Our speech, our teaching was not deceitful, nor was it unclean. Nor was it in guile or trickiness. Verse 4. As we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God. We speak so that God will smile on us. Verse 5. For at no time did we use flattery, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. We didn't disguise things so that we could get your money. God is our witness. Verse 6, nor of men did we seek glory, nor of you, nor yet of anyone else. There it is, soli deo gloria. SDG, soli deo gloria. We didn't want praise from anyone, praise from God alone. When we might have been burdensome to you as the apostles of Christ. So verses 3 through 6, you can say, pleasing God. A true missionary is willing to suffer. Verse 2. Bold, verse 3, verse 2, and pleasing God, verses 3 through 6. Look in verse 7, here's the fourth mark of a true missionary. 
We were gentle among you. Gentle. Like a nurse with a new baby. Like a mother would nurse that baby. That's how we treated you. There's a missionary. Can you imagine that? In verse 2, what is he? In verse 2. Starts with a B. Bold. When you think of bold, what do you think of? A lion. But in verse 7, what is he? Gentle. When you think of gentle, you think of a new mom, just like he wrote. A mom with a little baby, she's so gentle. That's our Lord Jesus, isn't it? He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And what other animal is Jesus Christ? He's the lamb of God. And Paul's just copying from his great master. The fifth example, verse 8. Loving. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted to you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. You were dear to us. I could have given my life for you. I could have died for you. I loved you so much. It would have been nothing if a terrorist had come in and said, Hey, I want a hostage. Paul would have said, take me. He loved those people. Do you remember in the book of Romans? He said, I could wish that I were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What a loving man. Can I remind you that a loving man is not a weak man. Paul the Apostle is bold. He suffers. He preaches the gospel. He's not afraid of anything. He doesn't please man. If I say something and you don't like it, I tell the truth. There was a pastor fired in America, in California this week. Why? Because he put on the sign outside his church. Bruce Jenner is a man. Homosexuality is a sin. The Bible is true. Bruce Jenner is, the, is a man who had an operation to try to become a woman. And all over America, foolish and weak people are calling this man a woman. But here was a pastor of a little church in California with some young children, and he said, She's, he is a man. Homosexuality is a sin. The Bible is the word of God. The church fired him. They should have given him a raise. He was bold. Paul was bold. When you speak the truth, sinners will not like it. I don't like it when my sin is pointed out. No sinner likes their sin being pointed out. But Paul is both bold and gentle. And just because you're loving, it doesn't mean you're weak. You may have to stand up against injustice. You may have gone to jail in 1976 if you opposed foolish public laws. And you might go to jail in 2019 if you oppose foolish and unbiblical laws and practices. Well, Paul goes on. There's one more item. Two more items. Look in verse 9. You remember, brothers, our labor and travail. We worked how often? How often did he work? Night and day. Any pastor who does not work harder than a businessman shouldn't be a pastor. And you shouldn't pay him if he doesn't work hard. A true pastor works night and day. A true pastor pours out his soul in labor. And it shows when he preaches. It shows because he reads books. It shows because he reads the Bible. It shows because he knows every book in the Bible. It shows because he memorizes verses. It shows because he learns new languages just to evangelize one man. I say that for some of my African brothers who with just a little bit of work could learn Shona or Sutu. For you, it would be two, three months of hard work and you could speak a new language. I'm trying right now to learn Shona. It's taking me more time. But I'm not going to give up. 
I was just evangelizing a Shona man yesterday. This man works laboring night and day. Why? Because we didn't want any of you to pay the bill for us. Oh, look at that too. This pastor has to work outside the church. Now, it would be great if the church paid the salary. But in many churches, in most of the world, the church can't afford the salary. So pastors, don't be money hungry. Serve the Lord, verse 9. And verse 10, the last mark of a true pastor. Blameless. You are witnesses, and God also. How with all holiness and justice and unblameable attitude we behaved ourselves among you. There it is. There is the example of Paul, and he's going to go on from verse 11 down to the end of the chapter, giving more examples. Verse 11, you know how we encouraged and comforted you, just like a father with his children, so that you would walk worthy of God, because God called you to his kingdom and glory. And there he goes, talking about all that he's done for them. Look in verse 14. You, brethren, became followers of the churches of God in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus, for you also have suffered like things from your own countrymen. Write down S, suffer. Three. Third reference to suffering. And then look in verse 19, the end of the chapter. What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? There it is again, the second coming. It was the last verse in chapter 1. Here it is again in chapter 2. When Paul talks about the church members, he closes with the second coming. When Paul talks about himself, he closes with the second coming. Now he goes into chapter 3. He wants to come to visit them. So he's going to tell them about his future plans. Verse 3. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, to establish you and comfort you concerning your faith. Notice that. Paul sends another pastor to check on them. Paul maintains the work that was done. He makes sure that it doesn't fall apart. He sends a Christian to encourage them, comfort them. It doesn't sound like they need very much comfort. It sounds like they're model Christians. But he sends a Christian brother. And then later he's going to come to them. Look at verse 3. So that no man would be moved by these sufferings, these afflictions... For yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Mananiko, can you please read verse 3? But no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Destined for this. Church, hear me. You are destined for suffering. You're not destined to live your best life now. You're not destined to have comfort. This is the fourth reference to suffering in the book. And Paul said, I'm sending Timothy to you to encourage you because you're going to suffer. I'm telling you, it's going to come. And to Timothy, he wrote about 14 years later, and everyone who lives a godly life will suffer persecution. 2 Timothy chapter 2. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Expect it. Be prepared for it. Put in your bumper sticker. 2019, the year of suffering. And then in small letters, to which you were destined. God has not chosen you to be the rich and the healthy and the happy. He's chosen us to suffer. Now I thank God that he gives us often great times of comfort and prosperity. But don't count that as the normal part of the Christian life. If you have a job, thank Jesus. If you have cold drink, thank Jesus. 
But the normal Christian life is hardship. Don't say, last year was so hard. Say, last year was normal. I'm not preaching a way that's going to make you feel good if you love comfort. But Paul didn't preach that way. And you don't plant churches in three weeks with a message that it's going to get easy in 2019. It's not. It's going to be harder. It's going to be more difficult. But my grace is sufficient for you. For when you are weak, then he is strong. That's the message of the New Testament. That's why we need the Holy Ghost. That's why the joy that they had had to be joy from whom? The Holy Spirit. There is no other way to make it through. It's a hard life. Well, he keeps going. Verse 4. When we were with you, we told you before, we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass. And you know. See, Paul told them, he's only there for three weeks. What do you think he talked about? From the very beginning, he said, your life's going to be hard. Just know it up front. It's going to be hard. Do you think this is the message in the big churches today? Do you think this is the message that they're preaching in the popular churches? But this is the message that Paul preached. He was only there for three Sundays. You say, Paul, you only have three sermons to give. Save the one about suffering. Save it for sermon number four. Paul says, no. If I only get three chances to preach, suffering is going in there. That's amazing. He said, I told you about it. We told you before it happened. Don't say we didn't warn you. Don't say we were like Joel Osteen, your best life now. Say we told you the truth. Verse 5. For this cause, when I could no longer endure, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter, Satan, had tempted you, and our labor be in vain. And do you notice what Satan does there? He tempts them to trick, to quit when life is hard. And this year is going to be hard for you, Alvina. And Satan is going to come to you and say, Ah, you don't feel well. Oh, just quit. And Paul says, I was so concerned I sent a preacher to preach to you because I was concerned you would quit. And God sent a preacher to you. He sent me to tell you the truth. Don't quit. Love Jesus. It's going to be hard. You're going to go to some funeral this year. I don't know who. I'm going to go to a funeral this year. Someone's going to get sick in your family. It's going to happen. Don't quit. Verse 6 and 7, he talks about sending Timothy to them. Then again, verse 7. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress. That suffer, number 5. S5. He talks about suffering more than he talks about the five solas. Verse 8. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. What thanks can we render to God again for you for all the joy which we rejoice for your sakes before our God. If you want to give your pastor a gift, love Jesus. If you want to give me a Christmas bonus, read your Bible. This week is Amy's birthday. On Friday, you can get her a gift. She loves chocolates of all kinds. (laughs) But if you want to get her a better gift, love the Lord Jesus with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And don't come late to church. And when we're gone, don't skip. And when I have to get another pastor to preach in my place, and maybe he's not very interesting... Don't gossip. Pray for him. Give him a good, buy one a book and give him a book to read. Help him. If you want to give a bonus to a true pastor, you stand fast in the Lord. And don't look at pornography. And don't look at foolish pastors. Read your Bible and love your Bible and evangelize. I came up here and got my bonus. My weekly bonus, I came and talked to Alvina, 
And I said, hey, what is the woman's name that was here last week? I want to call her. And she said, oh, I've got it in my phone because I called her yesterday. And I thought, praise Jesus. <laughs> That's what I want. Did you call someone yesterday? If I went and checked, did you? I want my bonus. It's time to bless the pastor. <laughs> I want to bless the pastor. Start calling people and tell them about Jesus. This is amazing. Paul's plans to come visit them. Verse 10, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face. Verse 11, now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, lead us to come visit you. Verse 13, what do you think he's going to close the chapter with? The coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. That's it. The third time, Paul ends every argument with the second coming. Chapter 4, now he's going to go, okay, do you remember the past I told you? There's two things in Paul's sermons, or Paul's letters. Doctrine and practice. Do you remember that before? I told you, Galatians 1 to 4 is doctrine. Galatians 5 and 6 is practice. Ephesians 1, 2, 3 is doctrine. Ephesians 4, 5, 6 is practice. Colossians 1 and 2 is doctrine. Colossians 3 and 4 is practice. Romans 1 to 12 is do- 1 to 11 is doctrine. 12 to 16 is practice. Here we go again. 1 Thessalonians chapters 1 to 3, doctrine. Chapters 4 and 5, practice. Although chapters 1, 2, and 3 were very loose doctrine. Now let's see the practical application. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1. We beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, as you have received of us how to walk and to please God, abound more and more. Again, remember what we saw last week from Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death all your sins. And right here in verse 1, he says, Do you remember all the good things you saw me do? I want you to work harder and harder at doing them. Do you see, he does not teach, just relax, just, just believe on Jesus, and all your sins will go away. He doesn't talk that way. And there is a group of Reformed pastors today, they talk all their time about justification by faith. Christ did it all. Christ did it all. And that's true. But we still have to fight and obey. That's what Paul says here in verse 1. Christ did it all, but that doesn't mean you can be lazy. Being a Christian is the hardest job in the world. Verse 2, you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Notice there, theologians, that he does not say commandments from Moses. Where did Paul get his commandments that he gave to the Thessalonians? From the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to have a little hint at theology here, you can write New Covenant Theology. The laws for the church come from the Lord Jesus Christ. When he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, which we just sang about here as we started our service, the voice from heaven said what? This is my beloved Son, Listen to him. And who was standing with Jesus when he heard those words? Moses and Elijah. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. Moses is a good man. Peter said, let's build a tabernacle for Moses and Elijah and one for you. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're talking about. We don't need three. We don't need one for Moses. We don't need one for Elijah. This is my son. Listen to him. Right? Because when Jesus talked, how did he teach? You've heard that it was said in the law of Moses, but I tell you, listen to me now. I've got laws for you. I've got a kingdom. I've got a church. I'm coming again. I'm the head. Hold on to me. I've got laws for my church. And Paul said, I gave you Thessalonians in those three weeks I was with you. Man, I would have loved to. If you ever find on the internet... The sermons that Paul preached for those three Saturdays when he was at 
Thessalonica. If you can download those for me, I'd love to hear those. He preached everything. Suffering and the laws of Christ. He has it all in there. Look at verse 3. Just like the book of Colossians, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from what? Fornication, sexual sin. Verse 4. Possess your vessel in sanctification. Verse 5. Stay away from lust. Verse 6, stay away from lust. Verse 7, stay away from lust. So there's Paul fighting for holiness and purity. Then in verse 9, brotherly love. Verse 11, laziness. Work hard. Work with your own hands just like we commanded you. Don't ask for handouts. Verse 11. The kind of man who always looks for handouts is the kind of man who will always be poor. And Paul tells them right here, don't do it. Work hard. And you're going to wait. Next week we're going to see he's going to tell the same church, if you don't work, you can't even eat. Same church. Next week. Verse 12. So you can walk honestly toward those who are without and may have lack of nothing. You're supposed to work hard so you have enough money to pay for your kids. You're not supposed to look to the government. You're not supposed to look to the church. You're not supposed to look to your uncle. I understand we all go through hard times. If I was in a car accident this week and I was stuck in a wheelchair, I hope that all of you would help because I would need help. We would need financial help. We would need help in our home. But that's an unusual circumstance. If you see a man that every, it seems like every three months, he's back in trouble. He can't get out of this. He's not obeying Paul's command. Needy people are exhausting. If I'm always needy, I need help, I need help, I need help. How are you ever going to put your time on evangelism? Prayer. Evangelism takes a lot of work and money. How are we going to do it? If the whole time, uh, this woman's always got a problem. That guy, sheesh, he's always, this thing's going on with him. And Paul warns them about this. He's going to warn them again in verse 14. Chapter 5, verse 14. But let's keep moving here. But then look what he does here. Again, in chapter 4, he goes back to the second coming. Verse 13. I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, concerning the ones who are asleep. That's the way Paul always likes to talk about death. You're just sleeping. Why? I don't want you to cry like the other people. They're just sleeping. If I die, don't cry. Unless it's hard for you. Rejoice. I'm with Jesus. If you die, maybe we will cry because we do love you. But we cry for ourselves then. Cry for ourselves. Not like the world. They have to weep because they don't know what's happened to that person. Verse 14, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, he will come back. Verse 15, the ones who are alive and remain will not go first. It's the one who are dead. Those go first. Verse 16, the Lord will come down from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ rise first. Verse 17, then the ones who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And in that way, we will always be with the Lord. Now, friends, I ask you, when does that happen? He's coming back in the clouds. He's calling us up to the clouds. And then we're going to be with the Lord forever. When does that happen? If he comes down to earth, why doesn't it say he comes to earth? If he comes to earth, why does he call us to the clouds? This passage is the longest passage in Scripture of what we call the rapture. The catching away of God's people. And I believe, as I mentioned back in September, that in this passage, Jesus will come back and take His people to be with Him. And then after some time, after the great tribulation, He will come back with all of His saints. 
And that's what's held in Revelation 19. Revelation 19 does say that he comes back and he comes right down to the earth. Revelation 19, he comes back on a white horse with all the armies of heaven. He comes down to earth and every eye on earth sees him. But here it says he calls us to the clouds. Well, chapter 5. Verse 1, he keeps going. And notice this. This is really remarkable. Chapter 5, verse 1. Of the times and the seasons, brothers, you don't have any need that I write to you. Why? Verse 2, because you already know perfectly about them. You know that when the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. You know that when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Verse 4, you brothers are not in darkness. So the day will come on you and you'll be surprised. That means, listen to this Christians, that means that in three weeks time, Paul taught them about the second coming. Again, there is an idea going around in churches that the, the teachings on the second coming are, are, aren't very important. And we can just put them off and kind of play with each other and laugh and, ah, well, we know Jesus is coming back, but we don't think about it very much. Paul had three weeks to preach to the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians. And he taught them about the second coming. We know that because verse 2 says, you yourselves already know it. You guys already know this. How did they know it? Paul taught them. When Paul was here those three weeks, he taught them so many things. He taught them about suffering. He taught them about the gospel. He taught them about the three selves. He taught them everything. Well, he goes on. Verse 8. And by the way, this is remarkable. Twelve years before the armor of God is mentioned in Ephesians, it's mentioned here in verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. It's almost as if Paul thought about it. He has two parts of the armor here. And then in the letter to the Ephesians, he gets six parts. So his theology grew. Verse 9, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is another good reason to think that we are not going to go through the great tribulation. He's going to catch us out. In chapter 4, he's going to come back and blow the trumpet. He's going to take us up to the clouds. And then chapter 5, verse 9, he has not chosen us for what? In chapter 5, verse 9. Wrath. But the great tribulation is a day of unprecedented wrath. That's what we learned back in September. Matthew 24. God is going to pour out his wrath on the earth. But chapter 5 verse 9 says, I did not choose you to pour out my wrath. That's one more reason to think that this coming in chapter 4 is a rapture before the second coming. Well... He gets ready to close, and he closes with encouraging them about their pastors. Verse 11, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and build each other up, even as also you are doing. Verse 12, we beseech you, brothers, to know the ones who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. That's your pastors. That means that Paul told the Thessalonians, know your pastors Respect them, in verse 13, respect them very highly in love for their work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves. Don't fight all the time. Your pastor is not a dictator. He only has the authority that's in the Bible. But when possible, do what he says. He is not the dictator. He cannot tell you how many children to have. He cannot tell you where to move and where to live and what job to take. He can't even tell you how much money to give. He doesn't have those powers. But he can preach the Bible. And when he preaches the Bible, thank him and love him. Because a true pastor is uncommon. There's not many in this town. Verse 14. We encourage you, brothers. Warn those that are out of control. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. Remember this, brothers and sisters. In the church, there are people who are out of control. 
In the church, there are some people who are are feeble-minded. They're not very strong with doctrine. There are some people who are weak. And then just be patient toward everyone. Some people are going to make you mad. Just be patient. Verse 15, don't give evil back for evil. Follow what is good. Verse 16, rejoice forever. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Verse 18, give thanks in everything. That is God's will. If you want to know God's will, don't sleep with someone to whom you're not married and give thanks all the time. That's chapter 4, verse 3, and chapter 5, verse 18. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Verse 20, do not despise prophecies. Verse 21, and just in case I can hear the charismatic saying, Oh, look there. Prophecy, prophecy. Verse 21. Test them. Check them. A lot of prophecies are a bunch of rubbish. Test all the prophecies. And only hold on to what? Verse 21. The good ones. There's a lot of bad ones out there. Now, don't, don't hate prophesying. But don't just test it. Check it. There's a lot of fakes out there. And by the way, that's another way to say judge. When people say, oh, don't judge, don't judge. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, you'd better judge all the time. Judge all the time. Test. Watch out. Test every single thing I say. Test it with scripture. Verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace will make you holy. And then verse 25, brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. We don't have to kiss one another today. That's just a cultural trend. But we do have to show that kind of love. Let me ask you, Lloyd. Do you love me enough to come very near to me like people have to do when they kiss? Do you love me enough to come really into my life and find out how my children are doing? That's what Christians should be like. You should find out how you're doing. They should know and love you more dearly than your relatives. Well, here's this wonderful epistle. So much in it. Every week I tend to think each one's better. May the Lord give us help to love the word of God. Let's close in prayer.